Well, good morning and welcome back to part two in our series, Above the Line. And if you weren't here last week, like we said last week, the whole reason we are doing this series is because every single one of us have had those moments where something came out of us before we could stop it from coming out of us. We said something, we did something, our emotions got the better of us. And before we could stop it, something came out as if our filter were just temporarily broken or suspended for a moment. And we've had that happen in uh, our marriages and our relationships where he said or she said, said, and then before we could stop ourselves, we said, and we said we didn't mean to say it, but we really, we said we didn't mean it, but we meant it, we just didn't mean to say it. Or as parents, you know, before we become parents, there are those parents that we said we would never be like, and then we become parents, and situations spiral, and we found our, find ourselves behaving exactly like those parents that we said we would never be. Or those interactions that just go negative, and accusations are made, and before we can stop ourselves, we say things that we can't unsay, and people hear those things, and they can't unhear them, and we feel so embarrassed and so ashamed about those things, and we just are left wandering after those breakdowns and those meltdowns and those blow-ups, just left wondering, like, where did that come from? And we tend to just blame it. Like we said last week, we blame it on our circumstances. You know, if he sat, hadn't said or if she hadn't said or if they had never, then I would have never. Or we blame it on our emotions. Like, if you hadn't made me so angry or if work hadn't been so stressful, then I never would have. Or, or, or. You know, we just, we just blame it on, on the things around us, you know, just the things that are going on in our lives around us. And our, our uh, temptation is to deal with these things is we just build better filters. Like if my filter broke down, then I resolve that by building a better filter. So we build better filters and resolve that I'll never do that or I'll make sure that I never allow my temper to get the better of me again. And we take those negative emotions that tend to come out of us and we just suppress them, right? So our approach to change tends to be filter suppress, filter suppress. And what we all know, like we said last week, because we've been alive for long enough, what we all know is that doesn't work. And it doesn't work. We know that because it hasn't work, right? The filters continue to break down and the emotions continue to come up. So we're just left asking the question, well, how do we really change, right? Because the filter suppress method isn't working. How do we really, really change so that the things that are coming out of us don't start to manage us? And what we learned last week was that 2,000 years ago, Jesus explained the reason those things come out of us, the reason that our emotions get the better of us and we lose our stuff and we say those things that we didn't mean to say, it's not because of what's going on outside of us. It's not because our boss is a jerk or our kids are disrespectful or because that person, you know, just didn't respect me. The reason those things come out of us is because they were in us to begin with. Jesus said that the things come out of us come from our heart, that what comes out of us is because of our internal condition, that our heart is the wellspring of our lives, that from the condition of our heart, our internal condition, the rest of our lives flow. So our internal condition defines our experience of life and how we engage in life, how we show up in our relationships and our challenges and our struggles and our marriages and our families. It all flows from our heart. So if we want to learn to manage the things that come out of us so that they don't manage us, then we have to learn to guard our heart because change starts with the condition of our hearts. And if we want to manage that condition, then we have to know what our condition is. Change starts with knowing. It's funny when I point at it, it goes away. It's magical. 
with knowing the condition of our hearts. I appreciate you, Darren. It starts with knowing the conditions of our hearts. And Jesus said, if you wanna know the condition of your heart, it's really simple because it's binary. Jesus indicated that the condition of our heart is either healthy or unhealthy. And last week we said it like this, that at any point in time, at any point in time, we are either above or below the line. And when we are below the line, what Jesus would call an unhealthy heart condition, because we've all experienced this, you know, in those blow-ups, those flare-ups, when we are below the line, we tend to feel more closed or more defensive. You know, we have our guard up. We're a little bit self-protective. We tend to be more reactive to the people and the things around us and the things that are being said to us. And where that comes from is this, this if we pay attention to it, it's this internal state of tension that last week we recognized if we look at that deep enough, if you keep peeling back the layers, at some layer, we sense there's some kind of threat in our environment. So we said this below the line state could essentially be defined as fear that when we find ourselves below the line internally, it's a fear-driven state. But that Jesus came and invited us to shift and experience life and have a heart, an internal condition that's above the line that tends to be open and compassionate. That when we're above the line, we tend to be compassionate with the people around us and with ourselves, that we tend to be more curious instead of reactive. We're more likely to engage and ask questions from circumstances and people because internally we have a sense of peace because deep down we feel safe. And Jesus invites us into this um, that we call it a, a love-governed state of being, that perfect love casts out fear. And that's where Jesus invited us to live our lives from, that our hearts, that our internal conditions would be set here. And our homework last week, hopefully you guys did it, our homework was to increase the frequency with which we recognized whether we were above or below the line, just to develop an increased awareness of at any point in time if we're above or below the line. And hopefully you did your homework. I got feedback from a lot of people who did their homework, so good for you guys. Lots of party hats and confetti. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to the message from last week. Um, and, and just uh, a little word... A little footnote to that, because this whole idea was meant to be like introspective, and some people apparently, I heard, were using this as a weapon to let other people know where they were in relation to the line, and that's not the idea behind this, so that we can know where we are, right? That's the idea, and if you did that, then probably you noticed that you were below the line a little bit more frequently than maybe you wanted to be, and if you noticed that about yourself, then welcome to the self-awareness club where news is always bad news. Um, that's not true. It's not bad news because we like reality. Reality is our friend and we want to know where we are so that we can get better. But when we find ourselves below the line, this is where we left off last week. When we find ourselves below the line, the question that we ask next is, how do we shift? When I find that my internal condition is tense and closed and reactive, what do I do next? to shift myself above the line so that what comes out of me is what I would want to have come out of me. And the good news is that 2,000 years ago, a follower of Jesus named Paul, who many of you are familiar with, 
Paul, who after Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul actually started persecuting the Jesus movement and going from town to town, putting followers of Jesus in prison until on his way to one of those towns, Jesus appeared to him and invited Paul to follow him. And Paul did follow him and became instrumental in growing the church and spreading the Jesus movement throughout the Mediterranean world where he planted and encouraged and built communities of Jesus followers to whom he later wrote letters to build them up and encourage them. And many of those letters we still have in the New Testament portion of our Bibles. And we're going to look at one of those today that was a letter that he wrote to followers of Jesus in Rome. And in the portion that we're looking at today, he's just gotten off telling them about the goodness of God and how amazing God is and his mercy and his grace and his love. And Paul is saying, in light of God's goodness, it would just make practical sense to align our lives completely with him. That if God loves us and wants our best, then the best thing that we could do would be to orient and line our lives up with him. And in fact, Paul calls this like our actual true uh, act of worship, that the best worship we could engage in is just aligning our lives with Jesus. Not just building better filters and suppressing our emotions more effectively, but real life change that comes from orienting ourselves to Jesus. And then what Paul says next is this is how you make that change. And that change, we already know, comes from the condition of our heart. So Paul's saying, here's how you make real practical life change and what he says next. And this passage that we're going to look at, what I'd encourage you to do, it's just one of those passages that you should just underline and highlight and put asterisks in, in, in your Bible, not the ones on the chairs, but like your Bible at home, do that in one that you have at home, because it's just one of those passages that we should just go back to all the time. And here's what Paul says. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. When you see the way that other people are living and the decisions that they're making and the choices that they're making, don't just go with the crowd and line up and do what, whatever it is that you see everybody else doing. And what Paul is saying here is he's like giving a disclaimer. He's like, if you are doing things or you're engaging in behaviors or uh, habits or relationships that you have no business engaging in, then the reason you're in a below-the-line condition is because your conscience is trying to get your attention. If you're doing things that you have no business doing, your condition is because your conscience is trying to get your attention. It's a built-in alarm that God put in us so that when we're doing things that God didn't intend for us to do, that alarm goes off and bothers us to let us know what you're doing is going to hurt you and it's going to hurt other people. So until you stop doing that, your conscience isn't going to stop bothering you and you will be in a below-the-line condition. And Paul's saying, if that's where you are, the rest of this isn't going to apply to you. It's not going to fix your, your situation until you deal with that. So number one, no longer conform to the pattern of this world. Next, if, once you get that confronted, be transformed. Be changed. Real life change. Not just better filters, not just more emotional suppression techniques, but real life change. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. To shift our state to become people that the things that come out of are the things that we want to have coming out of this. To shift above the line, we have to renew or make new or change our mind. We have to change the way that we see 
and we understand reality. That the more clearer our understanding of reality is, the more healthy our internal condition will be. And this is the whole reason Jesus came. He didn't come to say, stop being bad and start being good. Jesus came to say, you have a significant misunderstanding and I've come to give you clearer understanding of who God is, of who you are and how life was meant to work. Jesus came to bring light into darkness, to confront deception with, with truth, to give us a clear picture of reality. Because when we have a clear picture of reality, our internal condition follows. Now, this is, why, this is why we read our Bibles, right? We read our Bibles to get a clear understanding of, re understand of reality, of who God is, of who he created us to be. And this is why we pray or should pray throughout the day is so that throughout the day, we're reminding ourselves of what reality actually is. And it's why we come here on Sundays to be taught the truth about who we are and who God is so that we'd have a clear understanding or that we would know what reality is. Now, here's what we all know is that those of us who are doing this and engaging in this and have this and are working on this, that are developing that clear understanding of what reality is actually like, we know, because we're honest with ourselves, we know that we can have that understanding and still have this condition. Why is that? If renewing my mind is supposed to fix this, then what's broken? What's broken is the disconnect between here and here is that even though we may know that, it is not what we always or how we always think moment to moment, right? We can say that we know this on Sunday morning and say that we know this in our growth group and say that we know this in our quiet time, but then moment to moment when you're in the heat of the situation, there's the way that we actually think. Right? The way that we actually think. And it's the way that we actually think moment to moment, not what we say we know, but what we actually think moment to moment that determines our condition. And when we find ourselves below the line, more often than not, it's because the way that we're thinking isn't accurately lined up with what we know is true. So we may know something is true, but think something is that but think a thought that is false that will shift us below the line. Our condition, we could say it this way, our condition is the result of our psychological word here, cognition. Our condition is the result of our cognition, which just means our thoughts, the actual thoughts that we have moment to moment. So when we're in a below the line condition, it's because we most often have an inaccurate cognition. So here's what we're gonna do to help us address this. We're gonna develop a mental picture. The mental picture is that our life is a ship and our ship of our life is meant to, most of the time, sail above the line, you know? And it's okay if it sinks below the line, if there's an actual threat that we should actually be afraid of, but most of the time we wanna keep the ship above the line. But from time to time it will sink, and when our ship starts to sink, it does what any ship does, it shoots up a flare to say, whoa, something's wrong, something bad's happening here, which is what your body does when you start to sink below the line. It sends up flares. Those flares show up in your body 
through your physical response. Your heart rate elevates. Your breathing gets shallower. You start to tense up. Your body shoots up flares in your emotions. You start to feel yourself getting angry, irritable, defensive, reactive. It starts to show up in our behaviors, what comes out of us, the words that we're saying. These are all ways that our body's sending up flares to say, hey, hey, we're sinking here. Our job in that moment, our job in that moment is to trace the flare of that sinking ship back to the source, right? That's the whole point of a flare is to trace it back to where it came from. To trace that flare back to the source, which is always a thought. And more often than not, an inaccurate thought. And address that thought because the thing that is causing us to sink is what we actually think, not what we say that we know. And so if we want to manage this, we have to learn to manage this. And this is what we're going to be talking about the rest of this morning for the next couple mornings are the inaccurate thoughts that most of the time cause us to shift below the line And the one that we're going to start out with this morning is the biggest one. It is the one that most of the time when we catch ourselves being defensive and reactive and fear-driven, most of the time we have, whether we know it or not, some version of this thought. And the thought is this, that my acceptance is on the line, that my sense of worth or value, or goodness is being threatened in some way. Most of the time when we're below the line, it's because we believe at some level that our acceptance is being threatened, that our acceptance is on the line. And in those moments when that's where we are, the line comes becomes the standard of our value that we feel like we have to live up to. The line becomes the standard that we feel like we have to meet in order to be acceptable. And so acceptance, when we're in those states, acceptance becomes something that we are living for, that we are in a state of living for acceptance. And maybe that's acceptance through status symbols, through getting a raise, by getting a different position, by having a bigger house, by having a, different, a nicer car. Or maybe, maybe it's acceptance from, that comes from approval from someone in your life that you feel acceptable when you feel approved by your spouse, by your boss, by your coworkers, by your parents. It's some kind of approval that that's the bar that you're trying to live up to. Or maybe for some of us, and it can change moment to moment, the acceptance that we're living for is how we compare to other people. So we're always looking at what do they own? What are they doing? How successful are their kids? So I can know how I measure up. That's the other way that we're living for acceptance. And when we do that, we do that in one of three ways. That either we participate, which means that we just play the game that we recognize there's some kind of bar or standard that I have to live up to to be acceptable, and I'm in. I'm going to play the game, and I'm going to scare the heck out of myself to get myself to wherever it is I think I need to be in order to prove that I'm acceptable. 
And so I'm gonna compete. I'm gonna elevate the things that make me look good. I'm gonna diminish and belittle the things that make me look bad. I'm gonna you know, pass those off and blame other people for those things and the things that make me look me- mediocre. I'm just gonna embellish on those things. I'm just gonna scare myself and scare myself to get myself to the line. We'll either participate or we'll insulate and insulate is what happens when we think, well, I can't win the game. I'm never gonna be acceptable. And we just quit and we shut down and we wall up and we say, well, I just don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't have to prove that I'm acceptable to anybody. But the problem is you can't stop your neurology. Your brain was wired to seek acceptance. Your brain rewards you when someone accepts you. Your brain warns you when someone rejects you. And you can't turn that off. So even though you say you don't care, you can't stop that fear from gripping you. So we'll participate, we'll insulate, or... Last one, if none of those fit you well, maybe you celebrate. And celebrate is what we do when we set that standard or somebody set that standard for what we have to do to be acceptable, that somebody set that and we actually achieve it, right? We get the position, we get the promotion, we get the bigger house, we build the addition, we get the nicer car, our kids outcompete, our neighbor's kids, whatever it is, we actually do it and pull it off. But the problem is, the problem is somebody's always gonna get or build a bigger addition. Somebody's kids are always gonna be better. Somebody's gonna have bigger, newer, nicer. There's always gonna be someone or something that comes along to challenge you for the title. And what you celebrate will eventually evaporate and it'll go away. And this is why the leading cause of suicide in professional athletes is retirement, is because they staked their acceptance on their career and when that's gone, there's nothing left which is why I beg parents and plead with parents, please don't allow your children to tie their identity to sports. It is going to set them up for crushing failure. Please don't do it. But this is the way that we do it. We participate, we insulate, or we celebrate is how we're living for acceptance. And what results from that, what results is that we never feel like we can be our authentic selves. And what we get better at when we're living for acceptance is we just get better at pretending. And we just get better at pretending and putting on a show, but we never get better at being our authentic, real selves. We never engage in authentic growth or development. And the line becomes the lid to our growth. The other thing that happens is most of the time, we never feel like we quite live up to the line. We're always falling short. We're never of full value. And we find ourselves, more often than not, just slightly worth less. And I imagine there are some people who are sitting here who are just like, I don't need this like happy self-talk, feel good about myself, like hippy-dippy mumbo-jumbo. Like, I don't need that. And I hear you and I get that because what I know is that there are a lot of us who've spent most of our lives motivating ourselves by fear. And I can assure you, fear is a fantastic motivator. And there are a lot of people who've become really, really successful because they've been motivated by fear. Fear can make you very successful, but it will never make you happy. And along the way, 
If you are leading from fear, if you're leading your family or your organization or your life from a place of fear, that you're constantly scaring yourself to motivate yourself up to whatever that is that you're looking for. If you're motivating yourself through fear, you are eventually going to hurt the people around you. So I would implore you, and Jesus would implore you, and Paul would implore you to stop leading your life and being motivated by fear because you might be successful, but you'll never be happy and a lot of people are going to get hurt along the way. And I imagine a lot of us find ourselves in this place of living for acceptance, a place that is motivated by fear. And if that's you, or if you find yourself there from time to time or more often than you like, then the good news is this. The 2,000 years ago, a follower of Jesus named John, who spent Jesus' entire three and a half years of his ministry with him and walked with him and talked with him and ate with him and learned from him. He, he, after, after Jesus predicted and pulled off his death and resurrection, John sat down and wrote an account of his friend Jesus' life. And this is how he starts it out. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And listen, the word was God and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. God, listen to what John is saying. John is saying, my friend Jesus was God with skin on and I would bet my life on it. That God came in the person of Jesus. He became like us to show us exactly what he is like. And if you could sit down with John and have a conversation with him, you'd ask him the same thing that I would ask him. Well, if God came to show, or if Jesus came to show us what God is like, then what is he like? And so John says this. He says, we've seen him and he is full of grace and truth. That God, that Jesus came to show us exactly what God is like, and he's full of grace and truth. And the word grace is God's unmerited, unconditional love and acceptance. And truth is a reference to something that was previously unknown, that is being made known, or something misunderstood that is being revealed. And so that God came in the person of Jesus to make known his unmerited, unconditional love and acceptance of us. That there's nothing that we have to be, there's nothing we have to do, there's nothing we have to prove, there's no amount of Bible study or quiet time or prayers that you could say to earn God's acceptance, that he gives it freely to everyone always. And in the person of Jesus, God has come to invite us not to participate or insulate or celebrate, but to elevate, that we would no longer live for acceptance, that acceptance wouldn't be something that we are living for, but acceptance would become something that we are living from knowing that the best, highest, most benevolent being in the entire universe has come into our reality to lay his life down for us, to give his life for ours, to prove his goodness to us, that we would trust him and experience a brand new life. And he made that exchange to prove to us that we are not worthless, but that we are priceless. And that we would shift and no longer live from fear because perfect love casts out fear. That our lives would no longer be characterized by pretending and defending and protecting and deflecting, but that we could own who we are, mistakes 
baggage, brokenness at all, and embrace it in the light and the love of our tender, gentle, heavenly Father, and that we could grow from it that we could grow from it. It's only when we can see ourselves, when we have the safety to see ourselves as we actually are, that human beings can actually grow and become everything that God created us to be and experience the life that he created us to live. And here's what I know for a lot of you. You know this. This is no surprise to you. You've heard this before. You know this. The problem is, it's not what you think. It's not how you think about yourself moment to moment when experiences and circumstances come up that feel like a threat to your acceptance and your acceptance feels like it's on the line. So how do we renew our mind in such a way that what we know becomes what we think moment to moment? Here's what we're gonna do. We're going to go back to the ship. We're going to tell ourselves this, that when we're on a sinking ship, we are going to pause, trace, and shift. When our ship is going down, we're on a sinking ship, and we find the flares are coming up, warning us, you are sinking below the line. We're going to pause, we're going to trace, and we're going to shift. Let's walk through that. When you find your ship going down, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to pause. And we're going to mark that pause by a big, deep breath. A big, deep breath that gets that good, good oxygen into our body and into our brain. Here's what that does. When we are shifting into a place of fear, it's igniting our sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight part of our brain, which is getting our body tensed up and ready. When we take a deep breath of oxygen, what that does is it shifts that. It turns the alarms off. It engages our parasympathetic nervous system, which says, you know what? We're safe. Let's turn the alarms off. And when you take that deep breath, it initiates the shift. And when I take that deep breath, I'm going to recognize I am shifting below the line. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to become aware, but I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to harangue myself or, you know, just be negative with myself because all that's going to do is produce more fear and contraction. I'm going to know that God accepts me here and so I can accept myself here. So the first thing, a pause marked by a breath, then a recognition that God accepts me right here and God is present with me right here, which allows me to feel safe, which again causes me to more shift back above the line, back into my upstairs brain. So I'm gonna pause, and after my pause, I'm gonna trace my, cogni- my, my condition back to my cognition. I'm gonna trace my condition back to the thought that is causing it by asking this question, getting curious. I'm gonna stoke my own curiosity. And again, curiosity is shifting me back above the line and engaging my upstairs brain. I'm gonna get curious and ask myself, How am I living for acceptance right now? How am I living for acceptance in this situation right now? What is this situation revealing about how I'm living for acceptance right now? I'm gonna get curious. And in the presence of God, ask God, like, God, God, help me to see. How How am I living for acceptance right now? And then I'm gonna ask myself, does that make sense? 
Is that a sensible place or source for me to be seeking my acceptance from? I'm gonna challenge it. And if it's not, if it's not, if I look at that thought and the story and the narrative that I'm telling myself, I'm like, that's, that's not a true story that I'm telling myself. My thoughts aren't true. Well, then I'm gonna shift and replace that story Instead of having living for acceptance thoughts, I'm going to tell myself a story of living from acceptance thoughts. So, when your spouse makes that passive-aggressive comment and you find yourself on the verge of saying that thing that you mean, you just don't mean to say, when you find yourself in that place and the flare goes up, what I want you to do is we're going to pause, just take a deep breath, know that I'm in the presence of God, I'm below the line and he accepts me here so I can feel safe here I'm going to trace that to the thought. It's not what my spouse said that's causing me to shift. It's how I'm thinking about it. How am I thinking about this? How am I looking for acceptance right now? Looking for it from my spouse. Is that an accurate source for my acceptance? I, I need unconditional acceptance. Is that something that I can expect from my spouse? No. That, that, the weight of that burden would crush them, and I would just end up being disappointed. You know, that, that, that's not a fair thing to do to my spouse. So can I be seeking acceptance from here? No. Now, am I willing to shift? Am I willing to shift and tell this story in a from acceptance perspective? That, yeah, maybe my spouse is passive aggressive, but I'm still living completely safe and secure from acceptance because I am accepted no matter what by my heavenly father. Or maybe... Maybe for you, it's, uh, you know, kids are, are disrespectful. And you find yourself, like, just starting to sink below the line. You just want them to do what you say and not respond to you the way that they're responding to you. And who do they think they are being so rude? And you catch yourself before, and you pause, you take that deep breath, and you know, okay, I'm sinking, but I'm safe here. God accepts me here. I can accept myself here. Okay, God, in this place right now, right where I am, how am I looking for acceptance? How am I looking for acceptance from here? Or maybe I'm looking for acceptance from my kids. Or maybe I'm embarrassed because if my parents saw my kids responding to me this way, I feel like they would just be completely ashamed of me and the kind of parent that I am and what I tolerate. And so maybe it's acceptance I'm looking for, my, for, for my parents who might not even be alive anymore. It's like I'm, I'm looking for acceptance for my kids. I'm looking for acceptance for my parents. Well, does that make sense? Does it make sense for me to be seeking or, or living for acceptance? Can I expect my parents or my kids to give me the unconditional acceptance that I need? No, that doesn't make sense. Am I willing to shift and tell myself a different story? Yeah, my kids are being disrespectful and, and I can live from acceptance because I'm fully and completely accepted by my heavenly father. Or maybe I just have, you know, maybe I just make a mistake in my life and we can beat ourselves up by mistakes that we make. You know, you make a promise to your friend and you break that promise and you just beat yourself up and hold yourself down and you find your, the ship starting to sink and you recognize, okay, I'm shifting below the line. We take the deep breath, we pause. Okay, God sees me here. He accepts me here. I'm safe here. I can accept myself here. How am I living for acceptance right now? Well, I feel like if I'm not a good friend that I'm not really acceptable. Well, does that make sense? Is, is my acceptance tied to like being able to be perfect all the time? That's, that's unrealistic. Well, am I willing to shift that? Am I willing to shift that thought and tell myself a different story? That yeah, I, I messed up. I made a mistake. I broke a promise. But I'm still in a place where I can live from acceptance because my he acceptance comes from my heavenly father. 
And every time we catch ourselves and trace the thought back and challenge it and shift our thought to a from acceptance thought and tell ourselves a from acceptance story, what we're doing is we're renewing our mind. You're changing the way you think. And not only that, and I find this fascinating, but you're literally changing your brain structure. Every time you do this, you're building and strengthening new neural pathways in your mind. And the stronger you build those, the more likely it is that when you find yourself in those circumstances that used to challenge your sense of acceptance, these new, stronger neural pathways will be the ones that light up and say, no, you're safe because that's not where your acceptance comes from. You are literally, literally building new neural pathways in your mind. You're literally changing the physical structure of your brain. You are renewing your mind. And so your homework, our homework for this week is to continue, to continue to increase our awareness of whether we are above or below the line at any point in time. And this week, what I want you to do is when you find yourself below the line, is to pause, trace it to the thought, and ask yourself, how am I living for acceptance right now? Just get curious. God, God, what about this circumstance is revealing how I'm living for acceptance right now? Does that make sense? And am I willing to shift and recognize that my acceptance comes from you? And every time you do that, every time you do that, you're renewing your mind. And when you change your mind, you change your heart. And change starts with the condition of your heart. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for being a good, kind, gentle, loving, heavenly Father who loves us and accepts us exactly as we are. And you do because we are yours. And what you know is that when that truth goes from just being something that we know to something that we think moment to moment, it will completely transform the entirety of our lives. Father, it might take us a little work to do this, but it is the most important work that we can do in our lives. So strengthen us, guide us, encourage us, and enlighten us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.